Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. Okay, so I know I said this about David Pearl, but I actually also mean this about Azif Mustafa. I... I (laughs) I was turned on to Azif because I actually found a TED Talk that he did on being a weirdo. I'm like, oh, I, I got to meet this guy. This is how I find people because I'm just drawn to people and I, I just sleuth them out. And um, Azif is a head of culture at one of the largest, well, now it's the largest because of M&A, one of the largest telecoms in Malaysia. And he really challenges the status quo and norms. But what's really profound, we're going to talk a bit about culture. We're going to talk about what he does. We're even going to talk about how Malaysian culture is different than U.S. culture. I've certainly made some missteps, you know, just having my, you know, U.S.-centric view in sort of leading sidewalk talk. And we talk a little bit about that. But the most important thing is he is one of the most positive forces I've ever met I always feel incredibly safe. I know I have a friend in Azif. If the if the poop were to really hit the fan in my life, I know I could call this guy up and he would show up for me. And so on this particular day, he was heart wrecked by what was going on in Israel in the Gaza Strip. And I could tell something was off at the beginning of the conversation. I feel a little sad I didn't say something right off the bat. But eventually our conversation got there and he, he teared up. And he said verbatim, I'm not okay today. I'm not okay. And so you're not only going to hear about culture and being weird, but you're going to hear about authenticity and vulnerability in real time and how we show up for each other with each other in this conversation. So listen to the whole thing and come with your heart wide open. I can't wait for you to meet my friend, Azif Mustafa. You know what I was just saying to my husband before I came down here to talk with you? Why? I said, man, sometimes social media is pretty good because I get to meet cool people. And every once in a while, I really do get to meet cool ones like Azif. <laughs> so I, I count you as one of my LinkedIn blessings for sure. Thank you. So I want to ask you, I want to learn all about you today. And sure. I want to start with... Tell me what you think, because I'm from the United States and you're from Malaysia. And I want to play this game because I just moved to Europe. So now I'm like a total fish out of water. What do you think the world has wrong about Malaysian culture? Like, I want to know more about your culture. Tell me, tell me more about Malaysian culture that maybe Americans get wrong or Europeans get wrong. Start there. Well, uh, we have a long history. Uh, we were part of the Malacca Empire, and there's a strait of Malacca that runs right past us, which was the only path between India and China. So this was the Silk Route 
of the sea. So everybody had to go through us. Uh, it was a bustling port. The Malay language, which I speak, was the lingua franca of the whole, basically anybody who passes through. So the Chinese merchants or the Indian merchants or the European people would all speak Malay. Uh, and this was obviously before 400 years of uh, occupation by various countries. Uh, uh, and we have been independent since 1957. So it's from the British. And what people's, I mean, people get it right. They say we're a multicultural, multi-religious uh, country, which is great. And I love that fact. But honestly speaking, it's been a bit polarized uh, and racial issues have been cropping up. And I believe because it's been politicized, mm -hmm. really. I mean, the people love each other. It's just that, you know, different political parties have different ways of stirring up <laughs> emotion and what they feel is support. Uh, and it's gotten people into trouble. And people don't really understand that, uh, the history behind why things are the way they are right now. Uh, and I think that's, that's quite misunderstood. Uh, I have gotten a few comments on my feed on LinkedIn. You were just mentioning LinkedIn about real far, far out views on why Malaysia is so unjust and uh, can be considered an apathetic nation as well because we have rules that favor one race against the other. But, you know, it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of craziness out there. But uh, I'm happy living here. I wouldn't live anywhere else. Uh, and I think it's a great country. I love it. So I had a, a another guest on who was from Syria. And one of my favorite things to do when I'm learning about other cultures is to ask, what do you eat for breakfast and dinner as your traditional food? Because I think there's nothing that helps you understand a culture more than how, how people eat. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> funny thing. <laughs> <laughs> Since I was a kid, my mom would prepare toast and jam <laughs> and tea <laughs> for breakfast. She's a lazy mom like me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, traditionally, and I've learned this since I've been married, and my wife is quite traditional in that sense, uh, people like to eat rice first thing in the morning. We have uh, a rice that is cooked with coconut milk, mm. which is creamy and yummy, and I've I learned to love this, and it's called nasi lemak, which literally means uh, creamy rice, I guess. And uh, is it it's sweet? Yummy. No, it's, uh, it's, it's eaten with a sambal, which is a chili paste, uh, okay. with either anchovies or fish or fried, whatever, chicken, uh, but it's great, and my mom-in-law makes hands down the best in the world. Uh, but she's, you know, stuck in the kampong or the village right now. She has been for the past three, three, four months now. Uh, and we haven't had a chance to see her all this while because of- Because of the lockdown? Yeah. Yeah, we're still, I mean, we are just starting to open back up, but you guys are still tightly locked down there, yeah? No, we, we have uh, per million uh, citizens, one of the worst in the world nowadays. As More than India. Yeah, 
right now we're on par with India, which is scary. I mean, oh, for you like that. I'm so sorry to hear this. It's bad. So we hope, I mean, people are actually hoping for even tighter lockdowns right now. And I'm, I'm for that. I would love for everyone to just be locked up until, you know, the infections calm down a bit and, you know, it's getting a little bit better because right now it's just out of control. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, we're definitely in solidarity with you. And I, I think that you guys probably don't have as, we don't have a lot of vaccine in Europe. We're just starting to get some. It sounds like you guys are starting to get some. So I hope but you've got a large population to vaccinate as well. Well, not that large. About 2 million of us have been vaccinated. I have. I was last weekend, my first dose. Uh, and there's still a long way to go, but uh, it's getting there. It's, it's quickening up now. Uh, so people are getting vaccines faster and faster. Mm. So I know it's late at night for you. I, I want to know more about what you, you know, you're this interesting cat who is like this cultural transformation specialist. And I always feel very safe with you because you're um, so free spirited and you challenge norms, but in a really kind way. Like I, you're a kind weirdo. <laughs> but but how do you bring that to the, like, how do you bring your personality to bear to, to really create more psychological safety and culture transformation in your workplace? Because I don't really know much about what you, what this role does in a company. I've never met someone that does what you do. And I want to learn all about, all about it. Cause I just know you from chatting on LinkedIn. Well, uh, neither have I really. <laughs> <laughs> so the company took a huge, chance with me uh, and I'm grateful because I don't have your typical corporate CV, right? I didn't get promoted every couple of years and a really nice progression going for bigger and bigger responsibilities. That's not me. I, I went off tangent for years. I was an entrepreneur for 10 years, starving entrepreneur. Uh, and I worked in the government for quite a bit. So I didn't have what you would call a typical safe CV. So they, they took a chance because they, they understood that uh, in order to change cultures, they needed to bring in new ideas and new types of people. Uh, and they saw me as somebody who could bring that. So it was great that I could come in and I was told that they needed a change. And they I was told that they wanted something different and something new. Uh, but nevertheless, I was in my first 12 months there uh, pulled aside several times and told to lighten things up and <laughs> don't be too far out there. And, you know, but I didn't listen, which is one of the qualities that I have is I'm kind of selectively deaf. So I didn't listen to any of them. I just did what I thought was right. Uh, and obviously I had a, the support from the very top. The, the guy who recruited me was the CEO. And, you know, I had his ear and he would call me and, and ask for views uh, a lot of times. So I felt safe uh, regardless of people who were higher ranked than me thinking that I was doing wrong, uh, that I could kind of push the boundaries. And I, I understood that that was my role. That's what I was brought in to do. So, but the biggest thing I think that I did and what was quite successful in my view was that I went out and I listened and I didn't know you back then. And if I had known, I would have 
modeled my work after what you did. But the first six months of my work there was really traveling around the country and listening to people and, and going to little small towns where we operated in and as you said, seeing what they had for breakfast, because I had breakfast with them. Uh, and then we would go because if they were in a retail environment, the only time I, I had with them was either really early in the morning before the customers came in or really late at night after the shops closed. So I got to see a part of them that not many executives would have, have gotten to see. Uh, and those six months that I spent really built huge credibility and trust, I believe. So people could then see me as somebody who understood a little bit about what they were going through and whom they felt safe uh, talking with. So I, I really enjoyed that. And, you know, the best thing about it is that the, the results in quarter three and quarter four of last year were fantastic. And I'm not going to claim <laughs> that I, it was my. It was all you, you know. <laughs> it was all me, yeah. <laughs> but we had outperformed the competition. Uh, we had done well in customer surveys. We had greater uh, customer loyalty than our competitors. And this was a turnaround of many years in the making, right? We were falling behind five, six years. And all of a sudden, in Q3 last year, we turned it around. The momentum is still strong, Q4. We're just about to release the results of Q1 uh, 2021. And I feel, you know, vindicated. I feel great about uh, seeing that the culture is vastly different from when I joined. Mm. It used to be really different from what it is now. And uh, because it's tangibly changed, I think we did some great stuff, uh, me and my team. So I'm happy. So I know that a lot of the folks that are watching in Malaysia right now know all about Cellcom. But for those in the rest of the world that, I mean, I know about Cellcom because I read a, a bit about Cellcom before we got on. But you want to tell people what Cellcom is? And, mm -hmm. and, and maybe I would invite you to even be aspirational and think if Cellcom could make difference in people's lives beyond just selling them stuff. What do you hope that the impact they might have now that you're somebody who's looking at impact in a different way behind dollars? You know, um, somebody asked me in, an, in another interview, what was the one key success factor uh, that I had in, in doing what I do in Cellcom? And I said, uh, it's the CEO because truth be told, if he wasn't there and he didn't understand what we needed to do, it yeah. would have been pulling teeth. It would have been totally different from what we're doing right now. But he was on the forefront of pushing that we had a uh, purpose, a clear organizational purpose and a clear vision. And I just took that and ran and, and you know, met up with everyone and gained consensus. But our purpose statement is three words, advancing our societies. And, you know, how good is that? It's that we're not about selling SIM cards or selling home Wi-Fi, um, but the reason we wake up and go to work is that we advance whatever societies, and it's plural and awkward for a reason, because every person or every group that we touch as a business, we consider a, a distinct society 
that our job is to advance them in a way, one way or the other. Uh, and that has helped me tremendously in opening up minds and hearts throughout the organization so that they realize that what we're doing is way beyond just selling stuff. Uh, it's way beyond just providing a service. It's really improving their lives. And we are 33 years old. So we've been there hand in hand with the country in building the infrastructure, the first mobile phone, the first mobile phone uh, network. You know, we were there every step of the way. So we have a distinct uh, understanding that what, how we contribute to nation building is something much more than uh, perhaps another company that, that has come in and is owned by a, by a foreign huge group, a global group would understand. Uh, and that has helped us, I think, uh, maintain market share. We're not number one. Uh, we will be soon, um, not because of my efforts, but merging with number three. <laughs> and then, once that merger happens, we are number one, baby. <laughs> but it, it's nice to be on top. And we were on top for a long time. We were we had 33 quarters of continuous growth, which is unheard of uh, in the telecommunications industry because the margins are so thin and you know competition is so strong. But quarter on quarter growth for that long is amazing. But that was, like I said, five, six years ago. So we're turning things around. Uh, I think what needs to happen is this conversation of, culture which is seen as a wishy-washy soft thing and framing it in a way that the executives the, the c-levels the c-suite understands which is dollars and cents right so we need to say that if we do this well and our employees feel safe and they are able to go outside of their box and try radical things uh profitability could go up this much and costs can go down by this much. Uh, and that is what has made me, I believe, successful because uh, the executives understand what I'm saying. You know, I'm not trying to convert them into this soft <laughs> science kind of people. Uh, I'm just trying to talk in their language and trying to make sense of, of things from their perspective. Yeah, so you're like a translator. You're, you're helping the executive staff understand that. I mean, I get it because you're taking, I think what happens, you know, I'm going to, my armchair, armchair opinion here, and you can like correct me and edit me because I'm sure I'm going to get it totally wrong. But I think sometimes when companies get really big, they forget that there's actually people that they're serving. They start scaling, 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 scaling. It's all about efficiency and money and profits. And they're like, oh, we forgot there's people here. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> and I see you being this great humanizing force of this company. It says, no, 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 no. People want to buy from people. We just, we're a big family and we need to be recognized as a company that is serving the empowerment of Malays, Malaysian folks everywhere. And, you know, scaling's nice, but scaling has to come at the rate of connection. Exactly. And, and uh, interestingly enough, we started using that term family to describe employee uh, uh, extensively in all of our communications. And, and it took a while, 
but it is firmly entrenched now, and everybody just reserves, uh, refers to oh, the southern family of the people you know serving the southern part of the country, or the eastern, or you know the northern family. We use that right now as if it was always been there. But uh, you know, sometimes you need to make those conscious efforts to change even simple things like like language, sim simple terms that people use to humanize that that relationship so I, I think that's quite important yeah yeah so the other thing that that comes up is is this idea of weird okay and you know sidewalk talk the nonprofit that that i accidentally run because basically i started listening on a sidewalk six years ago and press got wind and then a bunch of people wanted to do it with me so i didn't intend to grow anything this big but one of our largest chapters is actually in malaysia in kuala lumpur and I've learned, boy, have I made some missteps in leadership just because of lack of cross-cultural understanding and nuance and crappy American imperialism. And ugh. But, you know, I'm humble. I'm a good mistake maker. I'm like, ooh, did I screw that one up? <laughs> but I, I've really learned that there's a certain kind of formality to Malaysian culture. And I am very, I am even informal for an American. So I am like way on the other side, right? How do you get, how do you get by being a weirdo in a formal culture? Because you really do like, I mean, even on LinkedIn, you were, I, I saw you talking about Ramadan. I saw you talking about being a Muslim. I saw you talking about some of the political conflicts in the world right now. This is edgy, I think, for someone who's Malaysian. And so, and I think, and that's why I love you. That's why I adore you. But how, how does that work for you? How does it go? You know, uh, <laughs> I would say that just a few years ago, it would have probably bothered me more than it does now. Uh, right now, I'm so comfortable in my skin. And I think, obviously, where I'm working right now, that has given me tremendous freedom to, to grow. As a person, uh, LinkedIn, I think I've only been like super active for six months and I have truly discovered myself on this platform because I didn't know I could, I could be that weird in front of people, you know, in front of my wife in my own house. That's normal. And but your son, because I've seen some of your dance videos with your son. <laughs> <laughs> He's amazing. Uh, yeah, so right now I'm so comfortable that I understand that some people won't get it and some people would oppose it even, uh, but it just doesn't matter that much to me. So uh, with that confidence, you can basically do anything and not worry about it. My wife worries a lot more. <laughs> She keeps saying I overshare and, <laughs> you know, I shouldn't be doing that in front of people. I kindly uh, ignore her and do it anyway. So I think that's a large part of where that's coming from. But obviously you've seen my TED talk and that was from a few years back. Uh, and that's when I actually discovered this trait in me that actually has been quite successful, uh, has been quite successful for me as I look back at my career and my life and I found that it was those actual moments where I didn't care what other people thought or felt about what I do. And it was those exact moments that actually leveled me up, actually allowed me to become a 
different person or, or a bigger person or better person was those exact moments where I just said, I don't care. It doesn't matter because I know what I'm doing is right or I feel what I'm doing is right. So let's do it and not care. And what's the worst that could happen? Not, not much, really. I was, uh, I lost a job or two <laughs> because of it. But in the big scale of things, it's not that bad and probably for the better even. Uh, and I've, I've learned to embrace that and my team has, has accepted that in Cellcom. And, you know, again, success gives you confidence, right? If I had been bombarded over the past two and a half years of failure after failure after failure, I would probably change my approach. But now that I, I have gained confidence and I've gotten recognition and people have said what I'm doing is uh, needs to actually be expanded to bigger portions of the, the company that uh, allows me that kind of freedom and confidence to be able to implement that on a bigger scale. Yeah, yeah. It's, what I'm hearing when you speak is how much courage it takes, though, right? Because you had to, you had to be willing to risk some loss in order to be authentic. And, and a few times it sounds like it didn't pay off. It has now, but yeah, yeah. a few times it didn't. And I guess, you know, I think about my younger self and I imagine some of the people that are listening in. How do you help people or how do we all as humans, I'm going to ask you a really big philosophical question. Are you ready for this? How do we as humans discern when it's important to be contrarian and take a risk? Versus when is it important to sort of, you know, sort of support the existing social good or social structure? Like how do you, because I know inside I have to listen to myself a lot and go, Tracy, are you just doing this to be contrarian? Or is this really important to challenge the status quo here? Yeah, that is a big one. Um, you know, again, it depends. I'm a really amiable person really i don't pick fights typically uh i can agree with the most ridiculous <laughs> if somebody's debating with me i i can you know calmly nod my head uh and and not pick a fight but at times it's just uh not doable you know and you know what's going on right now tracy is it pains me, you know. It, it it hurts me to see people suffering unnecessarily. You're talking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That, yeah. as well as as COVID, because my timelines are filled with death and pain, and parents wailing over losing their child, and children wailing about their parents dying in the hospital because of COVID. It's painful, and uh, I know I'm Mr. Positivity, right? I'm the one people go to on how to. Help me pick, give me a pick me up. Uh, but right now, I have to tell you, Tracy, it's tough. And mm. this weeks has been terrible, terrible. I would, you know, really just sometimes not find the strength and sometimes yeah. cry and just sometimes just feel so lost that what, what can we do? What, what's, what's going on? Why is it so bad for so many people? And, uh, you know, some, you need to go back and 
have a plan. I mean, <laughs> I don't have a plan. I mean, I've learned that you, you're supposed to write things down and you're supposed to transfer it from your head into a piece of paper and see what's really bothering you. That's one of the ways I try and, and kind of manage things. And it's worked in, in a sense that I've tried to keep what was in my control and, and figure things out and reach out to people who seem to be taking action and moving forward and offering help. And I've now volunteered to a couple of organizations that are doing some good, I think. Uh, and I'm starting my own thing as well uh, because you need to grasp on something. I think you need to have a bit of control in this vast chaotic uh, storm, right? So, you know, I, I probably need to hire you, man, because... I, so <laughs> I, I see your spark. I'm glad, you know, so can I, I'm going to reflect a few things. Thank you for saying that you're not okay. Because I think that there would be a lot of folks like you that are culture transformation leaders that would get on a conversation like this and act fake happy. And I imagine that there are a bunch of folks that are going to watch this and go, oh, God, I'm so glad I'm not alone feeling sad right now, you know? And I just admire the heck out of you even more for not doing that. Because I'm not a fan. I don't like the fake happy stuff, you know? And I'm glad to know that you're not one of those fake happy people. And I totally got your back. So you can call me anytime and I'll hold space and listen. Thank you. <laughs> Because I know you do the same for me. You already have on one occasion. So, um, And I'm also hearing that in this chaotic, painful time, that you volunteering has given you some sense of agency in a world that feels otherwise out of control. That it's like the one salve that kind of, you know, as much soothing as you could possibly get, doing a little bit of volunteering soothes your heart a bit is what I'm hearing. It does. Uh, LinkedIn obviously is another way of reaching out. I mean, a lot of people are, I wouldn't say dependent on me, but I've built a community, right? Of people who support me and whom I support. Uh, and it's in the tens of thousands of people, which is something also that, you know, soothes me as well. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who are very, very supportive. Uh, obviously, I don't write about this stuff. I don't write write about me being, I, I don't know, maybe I should, I don't know, being not okay. Uh, but there is a part of me that really wants, perhaps it's the fake happy part. You know, perhaps it's the let's put on a front and show people that you're strong and show people that there are things that you can do in order to try and improve the situation. And I try and do that. Obviously, I, I take action and I want to get things done. But, uh, you know, I feel so safe talking to you. It's as if we're just two of us in this conversation that I, I'm willing to open up and say that I, really it's it's hard. It is just sometimes unbearable. Uh, and it, it's, you know, you got to work through it. I I go through hard, unbearable moments. I'm right in it with you. Not in this moment, which is good for us, because that means I have more capacity to hold space with you. And wouldn't it be beautiful in this COVID epidemic, 
you know, it seems like one country after another. It's funny, just a week and a half ago, I interviewed a CEO in India, right, when they were at their apex. And now I'm interviewing you in Malaysia. And it's almost like, you know, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Canadians for a while were offering to be support people for Americans for a while when we had a particular political situation going on. So just call us, we'll hold space. And maybe we just need to be, this would be the most beautiful cross-cultural kind of connecting ever is if we could, whoever's hurting another country, rather than swooping in with our aid, you know, financial aid, which has all kinds of interesting side effects, that we just swooped in with emotional aid and said, let me just hold space. Let me just really be a human with you, heart to heart, which is what I feel like we're doing a little bit. Can you imagine if we did that? That'd wow. be so cool. Wow. Yeah. If there's two weirdos that could make it happen, it's you and me. <laughs> it, probably, it probably would take a couple of weirdos like us to make that happen. And I was thinking right, right before we started, uh, right after evening prayers, because I have I caught myself having a lot of negative uh even hateful thoughts right and i knew this wasn't good for me i i i this is not natural for me to have these feelings in my heart that are full of hate and i thought i needed to talk to people and i i actually i decided that i would reach out to the community on linkedin at least and i wanted to reach out uh to israelis to regular people, or even if they're not regular people, if they're political or they're in the army or whoever, I, I was just thinking, now you're, you're using the term holding space. I, I just wanted to have a conversation. Can we talk about something else that is not painful? Can you tell me about your family? You can you tell me about your food, about your festivals, whatever, about your children? I want to know about your children. How do you raise them? And I'll, I'll tell you about mine. And maybe just these human beings talking to each other could help in, in, you know, a small way. Some, something has to happen, man. It's just, hmm. it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know? I'm hearing this deep longing to reach the heart in you coming across and reaching the heart in another. Enough of this heady political BS Exactly. If we could sit down and talk about how we both love our sons. Yes. And we both have coconut rice in the morning made by our mother-in-laws. Exactly. Maybe there wouldn't be war. Why not? I mean, it may not stop stuff immediately, but at least people within those countries would have a, an added perspective would have a different perspective of the other side, if they want to call us the other side, or if I call them now the other side, the Israelis. Um, but I think it's important, and I think what you're saying, just providing that avenue of having these conversations, having these chats, could be really, really powerful mm. and change, you know, really the course of history, because history sucked for the past 50 years. Uh, and it didn't do anyone any favors, right? The people in yeah. power today are not doing anyone any favors. And perhaps just by citizens having conversations with other human beings uh, in the future, it could change. So, you know, let's try that. 
power of the people. Exactly. Power of the people. You know, I'm not meaning to do a plug for Sidewalk Talk, but to simply share with you the name of this, because I think it'll touch your heart. I, I was in a similar state of heartache around what was going on politically in the United States last year. And we did a dialogue. We actually did a dialogue training, if you will, um, really geared for family members, because there were a lot of couples that were getting divorced because they voted differently. There were there were mothers and fathers that stopped talking to their children because they voted differently in the United States. So we built a conversation guide exactly like you're describing. Let's get out of talking about the things and let's share our stories with each other and what we value. And I love the name that we came up with because it's so in line with what you just said. We called it, I wish you knew me. Wow. I wish you knew me. Wow. So know how to have difficult conversations. No conflict resolution guide. It was, I wish you knew me. I just really wish you knew me. That's beautiful. That is just beautiful. Yeah. What a sweet conversation we've just We've just modeled <laughs> empathic listening more than any any conversation I've had since I've been doing this podcast for a year. <laughs> So for those that, that listen in, I'm just going to share with you how I feel. I know your wife's calling you. Get down here, honey. It's 11 o'clock. <laughs> We're almost done. Um, your willingness to be vulnerable, I suspect not just for me, but for everybody that's listening in right now, has me leaning a little closer to you. My heart feels a little softer. And you've inspired in me a greater capacity to be curious about my own anger and my own grief. And I feel like I've grown my own capacity to hold space for other people after this call. And I think that's the beauty of two people being authentic with one another. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of things are going on, Tracy. Uh, you know, it was just eat. We had a celebration after a month long Ramadan. And a couple of days before Eid, my wife's sister, closest sister, they're, they're less than a year apart, so they're basically twins, uh, had a stroke. Mm. She had a she had swelling in her brain and mm. uh, an infection, and she was basically unresponsive for a few days. Uh, and right after, and, and for Eid, she has five children, and her husband was taking care of her in the hospital. So the five children were left on their own uh, at home. So I insisted that they have Eid celebration with us. And they were all dressed up, the mom had prepared, everyone yellow, beautiful. Uh, and they were all at my house and we had a video call with her and she was awake. Uh, and her husband obviously took the call, but she couldn't respond to any of us. Mm. My goodness, you know, um, and these are my kids, right? And they're my nephews and nieces, but they're my, my children. And to see them in such pain was just unbearable. But the great news is she just reached home. And uh, she, she lives like five minutes away from me. And my wife is there right now. Uh, you know, and she, you should have seen my wife. She was so happy. She was beaming. She was, she was so excited. She's like a little girl. It's like my sister's coming home. And uh, it's just... It, so, you know, all of these things at once are happening in yeah. my life. 
and in the world. And it's just, it, it's hard, like I said, you know, uh, and I'm so <laughs> thankful for this conversation. And like you said, I mean, you can't fake these things. And if you didn't create such a safe space for me, uh, I would not have been able to be as vulnerable or as real as, as I am now. Uh, and for that, I'm thankful for you. Thank mm. you, Trina. Hmm. Well, I, I just feel like you've just hit home for the rest of us why this pandemic has been so hard, though, because this heartache that's touching you is because we matter, humans matter to one another. And I hope that we can remember that because I think our hearts have been broken long before this pandemic. It's just that we are completely immune to it, you know? And so thank you for reminding of this, of this very fact in this conversation today that humans, we matter to each other. So yep. let's you and I continue yep. to be weirdos along with the other folks that I already see that there's other weirdos listening in who are super <laughs> into rehumanizing one another's hearts. So let's continue to figure out ways to do that. And we'll have to come to Malaysia. I want to come do something weird with you. We got to come up with some, when this thing's over, I'm coming. We're going to do something weird. Yeah, We're going to start must. a people's revolution of love or something. That's right. <laughs> Do it. We got to okay. do it. Um, having the ability to bring this to a company as large as Cellcom is truly a blessing for me. I think I, you know, I've, I've worked in several different organizations and uh, I, I was in the C-suite. I was a CEO uh, of a national level agency, but they were small, right? We had 50, 60 people and it, it was a bit was definitely more direct where I could, you know, implement stuff. And I just gather 50 people around me and we'd all kind of come to an agreement and let's do it. But with 3,000, 3,500 people spread across the entire country, it's a whole different ballgame. Um, but being able to touch as many people, you know, recently we launched a live show that's called Live at 1.30. So every Thursday, lunch hour, Weird Azif is on live for the whole company to see. Uh, and we, you know, we have conversations with people cooking lunch or preparing stuff for their families. Uh, and we have product updates and we have, you know, the, the branding guys talk about new campaigns. Uh, and so all of this happens in half an hour. And we've gotten so much great feedback from people that mm. it, they feel that this is, you know, instead of reading a briefing paper or, you know, seeing something live and their colleagues, their family members come up and share just makes all the difference. So, um, you know, so we're experimenting with different types of communications and different ways of engaging with people. And I'm, I feel so blessed to be able to drive this for the organization. But I touched a little bit about uh, we're merging. Uh, and this was announced just like a month ago uh, that us and DG Communications, uh, another large telecommunications group in Malaysia emerging, coming up with a new company very creatively called Cellcom DG. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in the midst of um, uh, due diligence and it very soon we'll start this integration work, which I'm so excited about because, you know, imagine somebody like me who's in charge of culture now having to work with two distinct organizations and trying to come up a culture that works for both sides and makes us all better 
Uh, and that is like a chance in a lifetime, right? And I'm so excited about that. And I've told my team, you know, there's a there's a book deal in the works and uh, probably a, a Netflix series if we do this well. I just need to find somebody good looking enough to play me in the show. <laughs> that was fishing. That was fishing for a compliment. I'm not even going to scratch that itch because I saw. The, I, I see the fishing pole. Well, <laughs> so I know we're at the end of our time. We have this tradition that we do sidewalk talk because this is going to air on our podcast. So, you know, sidewalk talk is just a bunch of citizens that hit the streets and put chairs out on the public sidewalk and offer to listen to one another, just like you and I just did. Right. And it happened quite accidentally because I started doing it in San Francisco out front of my therapy office six years ago. And so I'm going to hand over the mic to you completely to give voice to, to speak directly to those 8,000 folks around the world that just sit on public sidewalks to hold space for people, either a wish to them or words of wisdom to them. What do you want to say? To everyone who is, who are out there on the pavements, you know, you guys are a blessing because people need to be listened to and there's just not enough of people willing to listen to them in the world. So what you're doing is something that I would love to have myself uh, and I would love to do myself. But if you're out there sharing of your heart to people who really need it, uh, it's just amazing. I mean, you're doing a, a great service and it's the love that you share that I think will make a huge, huge difference in this world. Uh, it's not just 8,000 people being listened to uh, on any given weekend. It's their families, their friends, their colleagues, their children, their parents. It, it, it's basically the whole world, right? Somebody knows somebody who's know somebody that you've spoken to. So the impact is huge. Keep doing it. Keep sharing of yourselves uh, and being there for other people. And I love all of you for it. Thank you so much. Azif Mustafa, thank you for being here with us and for everybody that's listened in live and for those that will listen to the recording. Thanks for being weird with us and changing the world with our hearts and our ears. Thank you. Be well, everyone. Thank you. Peace. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.